Good morning. Welcome to Grace. My name is Ann Junius. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Acts. I will be reading from chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Hear the word of the Lord. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ann. Well, I got a bit of a game for you all this morning. Uh, this is TV Family Trivia. Alrighty. So I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me what TV family this is. Okay? Number one, let's put that first picture up there. Does anyone know who these are? That's the show, Arnold's, Tony Barnes got the family. Yeah, you're right. It's the Arnold's from the Wonder Years. So, yeah, very good. Next one, this one should be an easy one. Brady family from the Brady Bunch. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you all knew that. Man, Marsha Brady, that's the content of middle school boy dreams right there. Okay, um, little, ha. Uh, next one, next one, next one. Uh, what's this one? Uh, what's that, this one? Yeah. Yes, yes, Ingalls family from Little House on the Prairie, so representing Wisconsin. Uh, we're going really old school with this next one, really old school. Cleavers, yeah, Cleavers from Leave it to Beaver. What parent has to hate their child enough to name him Beaver Cleaver, right? Oh, my word. Yeah, you were hated from birth. Okay, uh, next one's, this was easy. Ah, where's my Holtz family? They would have been nuts over this one, yeah. Simpsons from The Simpsons. Okay, this one is from my childhood. I didn't really watch it growing up, but it was from my era. The, the Tanner family, yeah, from Full House, the Tanner family. Um, okay, women, this one, next one's for you. Yeah, anyone know that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, who said it? Who said Gilmore? Oh, Ben. <laughs> ben. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah, yeah, it's the Gilmore family from Gilmore Girls. Okay. This, this next one will be great for, um, it's like Milwaukee represent, okay? So, next, uh, what? <laughs> Are you cheating off my screen? You can't do that. <laughs> <Not good. laughs> there. <laughs> yes, that is the, the Cunningham family from Happy Days. Who's seen Bronze Fonz downtown Milwaukee? Everybody? Has everyone gotten to the Bronze Fonz? That's a good time if you go. His teeth are really creepy. Go to the Bronze Fonz sometime. Uh, okay, next one. Okay, this is another one, I think, for you women. Uh, can you see that? Look a little closer. Parenthood is the show. Braverman family. Braverman family. Okay, apparently my wife is the only one who watches that show. Um, okay, the next one is kicking it. Oh, this is like my childhood, because my family watched this show as a kid. Taylors, yeah. From what's the show? No, not Tool Time. <laughs> The show is home improvement. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> it's known more for the show within the show than the actual show name. Okay, the next one, I don't know if people are going to want to know this one. Shout this one out. The Sopranos. Yeah, there you go, Tony. We all know who watches a lot of TV in here. Okay, um, this next one, I, I never understood the appeal of this show. I do not like this show. Yes, I don't like this show at all. Yeah, I don't know why it... Who likes this show? Is it, oh my goodness, why? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> okay, uh, next one. This one I got into when Morgan and I moved into our first apartment and it had cable. Yeah, everybody loves Raymond. You know the family? Barones, Barones, yeah. Meredith, was that you? <laughs> yeah, again, representing your family well. Okay, uh, next one. This is kind of cultural savvy. This one requires this next one. You know this one? Peggy's got it. You know? Oh, uh, uh, Jason says Arrested Development. He's correct. What's the name of the family? You know? It's, it's the Bluth family. The Bluth family. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we were all excited, and now we get to this one. Just, the wind gets out of the room. Okay, maybe this next one, maybe the last one, this will get you back. Yes? You know the family name? It's the Crawley family. So, Crawley family, yeah. I should have ended with easier ones, I suppose. But anyway, yeah, that's TV family trivia. That was a, good, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for playing that with me. So, I, uh, I, brought, I play TV family trivia because uh, we're talking about families today, or kind of like family. Uh, but this family is not a family that's related by blood. This family is related by the blood of Jesus. This is not some sort of nuclear family. This is God's family, the family of Christ. God's family begins uh, when he calls this man Abraham. And so God appears to this man Abraham, and God says, Abraham, I've chosen you for a special place in my world. And he says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you this promise. And God makes this promise to Abraham, and God promises that he's going to build Abraham into a family. And he says, I'm going to build you into a family and you're going to have lots of children and then I'm going to take those children and I'm going to multiply that family and I'm going to make it so big that eventually they're going to become a nation. And you are the father of this special people, this special family that I'm building. And as the father of this special family, you have a job. You have a special job that I've chosen you for. And that job is to reflect who I am to the rest of creation. Your job is to be a representative of me to the rest of the world. Your job is to make my name known to the world. And God makes good on his promise, and he multiplies Abraham's children into a nation, and, he, and that nation is the nation of Israel, and then he appears to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, and he says, I have a special job for you You're my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I have a special job, and that job is that you are going to be my kingdom priests or my special treasure. And he says, as my kingdom priests, you are going to be my kingdom representatives, and you are going to represent my kingdom. You're going to represent my reign. You are going to show who I am to the other nations. You are going to image who I am to everybody else. Your job is to spread my reign all over this earth and to everybody you meet. That's your special job as my special possession and my special people. And so this family of God heads into this special task that the Lord has given them, and they fail horribly, all right? They fail. It's a sad story because rather than being this special family that's supposed to show the world who God is, they become a family that just looks like the rest of the world 
because they fall victim to idol worship and they fall victim to the sin that's in their hearts and they end up looking up just like they end up looking just like the rest of the world and God carries them off into exile and that's how the Old Testament ends in a kind of a sad way. All right. Well, then God Himself shows up on the scene with the pers- in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect reflection of God because he is the image of the invisible God and he and the Father are one. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And so he calls these people to himself and he calls these disciples to himself and he says, hey, come leave your life to come on a new life with me. Come leave your job to come on a new job, a new task with me. And he says, You're gonna, we're going to live together and we're going to be a new type of family. We're going to be closer to one another than we are to even our earthly families because when you're coming with me, you're leaving that life for a new life with me. And you're going to learn me and you're going to see how I live and you're going to see what I do and you're going to hear what I say and we're going to live together. And so Jesus calls these disciples to himself and, and then he makes good on his promise and his mission and at the end of his earthly time he goes to the cross and dies on the cross and then he rises from the dead on the third day and then he appears to his disciples after he's risen from the dead in his resurrected body and he says, I'm about to go back to my father. I'm about to go back home to heaven and I have some special instructions for you before I take off. He says, I want you to go into Jerusalem city. And I want you to wait there for this special gift that I'm going to give you. He says, me, Jesus, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you because I'm sending a gift. All right, so go to that city in Jerusalem and wait there for the gift that I send you. And so the disciples obey and they head back to Jerusalem after Jesus rises up into the air and ascends back into heaven and goes back to his father. And the disciples obey and they go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting in this room. And all of a sudden, as they're waiting in this room, they hear this wind and this rushing sound and, and then tongues of fire appear above their heads. It's this supernatural moment. And it's in that moment that God sends the gift that Jesus promised, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now the disciples are no longer living with Jesus, but they're living with God inside of them, all right? And they have this special gift, and, and they have this special task now of, of being the body of Christ, this family that's supposed to go and spread the reign of Christ across the earth. And now they have this special gift of the Holy Spirit that's giving them different languages to be able to speak so that they are now equipped to accomplish their mission of bringing the reign of Jesus to every tribe and every language and every tongue and every nation. And Peter gets up on that day that God does this incredible work and gives his believers the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon about who Jesus is and the work of spreading Jesus' reign across this earth as the church begins. This is church launch. All right. This is the day when God launches his family called the church to spread the reign of Christ and spread his name and spread his reign across the earth. And we call this special exciting day Pentecost. All right. That's the day when God launches his church into this missional task. It was always the same missional task. It's just that he's launching it in the church now as the family of God. They're picking up the baton of making God's name known. God is launching his church. And that's and it is in the immediate aftermath of God's launching his church that we get this reading of scripture today. This Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the immediate aftermath of God launching his church into the world to accomplish the missional task of making his name known. Okay? And so this is what we have in Acts 2, 42 to 47. And this ought to be really close to our hearts because we are named after this first verse, Acts 2, 42. So this ought to be near and dear to who we are and what we care about because Acts 2, 42 is our name as Grace 2, 42. So this is the first verse. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That ought to be something that we constantly are thinking about as Grace 242. So what else are they doing? A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And when we read this scripture, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's riveting reading when you read and see what the church was doing, that early church, what it was up to as they were formed and as they were launched into this missional movement of making God's name known. My, my former pastor, Pastor Brian Jacobson, got me into this podcast. It's called The Naked Bible. And I'm, I'm way into it. And it's hosted by this scholar who works for Logos Bible Software. His name is Dr. Michael Heisler. And he graduated from UW-Madison in Semitic Languages with a PhD in Semitic Languages. And his whole goal is to kind of take all the academia and scholarship of the Bible and just sort of make it, like, understandable to the normal guys and uh, like us. And, he, um, and so what I love listening to him is, is he just takes a book of the Bible, and it's like his verbal commentary on the Bible. So, you know, you can get commentaries where you read someone's commentary on the Scripture. This is like his verbal commentary commentary on the scripture. And he says, I listened to his episode um, from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And he says, when he reads Acts 2, 42 to 47, it reminds him of the Garden of Eden. He said, whether it's intentional or not, I see a lot of Garden of Eden uh, nature to this whole launch of the church, because in the Garden of Eden, everything was as it should be. Humans had this perfect relationship with God. Humans had a perfect relationship with one another, and humans did their job as image bearers of God perfectly, and creation did its job as creation perfectly, and, and this is post-fall now, so the church launch is still under the curse of sin, but you read that passage, and you see what happens, and you say to yourself, that's how it should work. Like, everything's as it should be. Like, this is what the church should be doing. This is how the church should look. This is how the body of Christ, the family of God, should act. You get this sense of everything is, is exactly as it was intended. All right? When you read these passages. And you see the way that these people took care of one another when you read this passage. This is supernatural caring for one another that we read about. This is not some sort of... Um, some people have kind of taken this passage and twisted it, sort of like for political gain or, or some sort, or like for economical gain. Like they say that some people will read like communism into this passage and they'll say, and this is not some sort of redistribution of wealth. What this is, is this is a voluntary prompting from the Holy Spirit to be the people that God has called them to be. And they love one another so much out of that prompting from the Holy Spirit. And they understand they've been loved by God so much that they're just bursting forth with that God love. And they want to show that to one another so that nobody is genuinely in need. So this is not some sort of striving for wealth equity. This is like, we want to make sure that everybody in our community, that everybody has what they need to live. So this guy doesn't have some clothes. Well, we got somebody over here that's got some extra land that he's going to sell off so that this guy can have clothes over here. And this family doesn't have a home right now. Well, we got people that are willing to actually make space in their family home to let this family come in. And so they're caring so much about one another that no one was genuinely without without a need for clothes, without a need for shelter, without a need for food, right? Everybody had what they needed because they were prompted out of love. That's what we read when we see this passage, is this love for one another. They realize, look at the love that God poured out on us in Christ. We are just bursting forth with that love that we are showing to one another. Now I got to slow down. Oh, that was fast. All right. But you see love when you read this passage. 
All right? That's what we read when we see this passage, is the love that these believers had for one another. And we read, Colin read it marvelously. He, uh, we read John 13, 34 to 35 as the gathering scripture because these scriptures are connected. John 13, 34 to 35 is connected to Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I feel like Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the manifestation of the commandments that Jesus gives in John 13, 34 to 35. All right, we're seeing the commandments of Jesus in John 13, 34 to 35 played out in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Now, I don't always love charts, but I'm sure there are some people in here that love charts. So I made a chart for you chart lovers. Got chart lovers in here? Any chart lovers in here? Oh, yeah, 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 all right. So I, this kind of breaks down into a chart, okay? Because when I read this, I see verse 34 is sort of an internal communal command, and then verse 35 is an external missional result of that command. All right. Verse 34 is an internal communal command for the body of Christ. And then if they're doing that internal communal command, internal communal command correctly, then verse 35 is sort of this external missional outworking of that internal communal command. Okay, let's first look at the internal communal command in 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. He says, just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Jesus is saying, I'm dying for you. I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. And I love you that much that you need to show that same love to one another. You need to take care of one another. And that's what we see when we see the church launch of Acts 2 to 42 to 47 is how much this community, this family of God loved one another. We're so privileged as a family to have experienced this kind of love. Because um, many of you know uh, the story of our son, Colin, and, and he had a heart surgery a week after he was born, and so we spent the first three weeks of Colin's life in Children's Hospital. And we get out of Children's Hospital, and as you know, with any hospital stay, um, you know, we have a lot of money to pay them now. And um, we have a payment plan set up with the hospital, and Morgan and I are looking at each other, and we're kind of like, you know, praise the Lord for our son, praise the Lord for this medical care, praise the Lord for insurance. But at the same time, we're like, wow, we're going to be paying this off for a long time, you know. And um, we didn't advertise at all. Uh, We didn't say anything. But following the hospital stay, uh, money just started coming our way. Uh, People would hand us cash, and uh, we had a, a... box in the church foyer of First Presbyterian Oostburg, and envelopes would show up in there, and all they would be labeled is like, for Collins surgery, and there'd be money in there, and people would pass us checks, and we didn't advertise at all, and this money just starts coming our way, and we're like, oh, oh my goodness, like, the Lord is taking care of us, and um, we were looking at multiple years to pay off that hospital bill on that payment plan that we set up with the hospital bill. Thanks to the generosity and the love of the Christian family that we were a part of, we were able to cut that bill down to like one year. We had it paid off in one year. Thanks to the generosity of the Christian community that we were a part of. We experienced the love that God commands of us when those checks just started rolling in, even unasked for. It was this incredible story and experience of God's love that I'm so thankful for. That I'm so thankful for. When Grace 242 first came onto my radar, uh, yeah, we took that at the National Gathering. Yeah, at Eco's National Gathering. I thought you'd all like that. Um, when Grace first came on my radar, I met with Tim for lunch. And my whole goal of the lunch was just to hear about who Grace 242 is. And so I sit down with Tim at lunch, and my first question is, to Tim, I said, just, just tell me who Grace 242 is. 
And the first words out of Tim's mouth are, he says, well, we just really enjoy getting together with one another. We look forward to the time when we can get, to get, get together again. We spend lots of time together. And he said, we really honestly just love one another. And when I heard Tim say that about this community, I thought to myself, you know, if what he's saying is true, then that's something that I want to be a part of. If he says that this community really actually does love one another, looks forward to being together, enjoys the time when they are together, that's something that I want to be a part of. And it is true in my experience. It is true. I couldn't be prouder to stand here and be in this position and be serving this community. Um, I, I've, I love this place. I love this place. And um, I think I'd be remiss if, as a pastor, I wouldn't name a strength or praise a strength when we hit on one. And I feel like we're hitting on a strength in this moment. And I want to praise our community, and I want to thank the Lord for what he's doing here. And I want us to commit ourselves to never losing what we have in the love that we have for one another. It's not saying we're perfect. It's not saying we do it amazingly. There's always going to be sin and there's always going to be problems. But I never want us to lose this striving desire that we have to love one another like the scriptures actually say. You know, I, I think and I've heard that there's a lot of pastors who gave up on this idea of loving one another a long time ago. Or churches that gave up on this desire to love one another or this command. They read what this supernatural love of Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they think that's way too lofty to even happen. Like that's never going to happen here. And so they just kind of settle for a community that doesn't fight or a community that doesn't, you know, yell in one another's face or a community that can tolerate an hour on Sunday morning together or a community where it's just kind of nice or whatever. You know, they settle. But I feel like that supernatural love that we read about in Acts 2, 42 to 47 is actually a goal for this place. And we feel like we can actually have that if we try hard enough and if we let the Lord do it amongst us. All right. And I'm so proud of that as a, uh, uh, I'm so proud of that for us as a community. And I never, ever want to lead, lose that pursuit of that command that God gave us and that ideal and that excitement of the picture of Acts 2, 42 to 47. I never, ever want to lose that. And so when I met with Tim and I heard about Grace 242, I thought to myself, if they really do love one another the way that he says, I want to be a part of that. And that propels us into that external missional aspect of the second verse of John 13, 35. All right? Jesus says this. He says, you, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He says, love one another just as I've loved you. So you love one another just in the way that I've poured out my love upon you. Pour out your love on one another. And then he says this. If you're doing it right... A watching world will take notice and say, there's something different there. A watching world ought to take notice of the love that we have for one another and say, you know, in my life, I see people angling to get a position, people using one another to get ahead, people treating one another poorly, people who are, are uh, uh, jerks, quite frankly, just jerks, right? I see, I see all this depravity and I see the way that people treat one another in my job and at my work and in the world and, and it's horrible. And then I look at this community over here and they treat one another like, like they're family. And they treat one another like they care more for the other person than they do about themselves. There's something different going on there that's attractive. If that's the way they treat one another... I want to be a part of that. And they say that they love this God 
And if they love one another the way that, if they love one another in the way that their God says that he loves them, then maybe they actually mean what they believe. Maybe they're actually walking the talk and it's serious business for them that they actually believe in this God and that they've been loved in this way. And I want to be a part of that because I want to be treated that way. That's what Jesus is saying. That the watching world ought to take notice and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. So what does all this mean for Grace 242? What does all this mean? Well, I feel like in the same way that there's sort of this internal, external aspect to John 13.34 and John 13.35, I feel like there's sort of an internal and an external takeaway for us as Grace 242. So first, the internal. What's the internal takeaway as we try to love one another? Uh, The sermon title is called Less Me, More We. And what a better time, what a better time than now to just reiterate that, that this is not about us. It's less me. It's not about, I'm sorry, this is not about me. This is not about us as individuals, but it's about what God wants to do through us as a community. Right? That's what God has called us to as a community of believers and as the family of God. It's less me, more we. We've seen what happens when individuals elevate themselves above everyone and everything else. We've seen when individuals elevate themselves above God. We've seen what, individuals, what happens when individuals elevate themselves above God's command for us. And we've seen what happens when individuals above the, uh, uh, elevate themselves above God's word for us. And we've seen when individuals lose their way and when individuals become like the world and when they start angling for power and when they start ignoring God's call upon their lives and, they, and, they, and when they're no longer humble and they become a shot caller and all these other horrible things. We've seen what happens when the individuals rise up and when preference becomes the highest aim and the highest value. We've seen that. And I never want to become that because it's not about us as individuals. It's about the family of God that God is building and calling us as a family to make his name known on this earth and proclaim Christ's name across this globe and see people come to Christ. It's about what God is doing through us, not about what we personally want to do or what we personally can gain from this situation. It's less me more we. That's the internal goal for us. Is it's not about us. Success for us ought not be. Did we appeal to people's preferences this week? Or did we make something that people like? Or did we build something that people enjoy? That is not success. Success is, is did we love each other like Christ loved us? That's success. That's the internal takeaway. For us. And praise the Lord that I already see this happening. Never want to lose that. And then there's an external takeaway for us. And I'll just say, I'll just describe it by saying radical hospitality. Because what we have going on here is special. You guys told me as I was courting you <laughs> that what we have here going on is special. And I couldn't be more in agreement. What we have here is special. So I want us to ask ourselves and just check ourselves. What we have here is going special. So if someone else was to say, I want to be a part of that, could they become a part of it? No matter how they look, no matter where they come from, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what their ethnicity is, could someone, anyone who says, I want to be a part of that, become a part of what's happening here? I want to get to a point where we never, where we never uh, love one another so much that the, the world or an outsider or an unbeliever couldn't penetrate this special thing that we have happening here. 
So when I was a youth pastor at First Presbyterian, we had this uh, thing called the youth house. And the church, before, prior to my arrival, sometime before I arrived, had purchased this house that was called the youth house. So they bought this house that was next to the church parking lot, and that's where the students would meet. And on the one hand, it was great because we just, no one ever bothered us. I mean, we could do literally whatever we wanted over there, and, and no one ever was like, it's too loud, or like, you're too messy, you know, like, we just did whatever we wanted. In fact, case in point, I mean, one time I had some middle schoolers, this is a bit of an aside, but one time I had some middle schoolers wrestling, and one had climbed on the other's back, and they both were wrestlers, and the, the one had him on his back, and he stood up, and he put the other kid, th- his back through the wall. So there was this back so, you know, this back-sized hole in those drywall in the upstairs, you know, and so, and, and I never got in trouble for it, which was great, because um, we could do whatever we wanted, but on the other hand, it was just, it was just uh, messy all the time, it was a total losing battle, this youth house, and uh, it was just a disgusting pigsty, and, um, and you could, sorry, I'm getting a bit afield here, but you could tell uh, where the middle school boys had sat, like when they would get up off the couch, it's like, just look for the, the pigsty. And that is where the middle school boys sat. Cups, chips, and oh, it's just, it, they, they really are animals. Anyway, um, so before I get in trouble here, uh, <laughs> no, 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 don't worry, they grow up, they grow up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I'm realizing <laughs> I'm better. Talk. Anyway, so back, back, back to the point of the story. Um, one, one day, uh, we had a family visit our church. And actually, this family moved in next door to Morgan and I in Oosburg, and it's a single mother with five children. And I told her about what I did, and, and she's like, I'm looking for a church. And I said, you're more than welcome to come. And so they, act credit, they, count, they came to First Presbyterian Newsburg, and this single mother comes with her five kids. Two of her daughters were in high school at that time, and they came to Sunday school. And what would happen on Sundays is we would have Sunday school over at the youth house, so service would get out, and then usually I'm touching base with people, and I'm checking in with people and meeting people. And usually I was the last one to get over to the youth house because you had to walk across the parking lot to get to that, to get to there. So usually I would walk in, and the kids would already be in their place. And I walk in this Sunday, and over here on these couches are the regulars, the regular kids, and they're all sitting kind of in their spots where they normally sit. And then there's empty couches here, and there's empty couches here because we're seated in the round, and then over here are these two high school girls. <sighs> Brand new, first day at our church. And I walked in, and it was like this volcano was erupting in my head. Because I'm going, what are we doing? Why am I even the youth pastor here? Like, why am I doing my job? Because it's game time, and the brass has hit the tax. I don't know if that's a thing. It's down to brass tax. That's the thing I'm looking for. <laughs> right? The stuff is hitting the fan. And we forfeited the game before it began. What are we doing here? And I remember in that moment, I like calmed Mount St. Helens in my head. And I, and I like, and I went over and I, and I said, and I was like, oh, you guys don't sit over in that corner. Like I kind of played it off as like a, let's get everybody together kind of a thing. I'm like, here, there's space for you over here. Like we want you over here. Like we don't want you, you know. And so I'm the one that has to do the facilitating to get them over there. And I'm just going, what are we doing? What are we doing? Now, I'm excited to say now, and those kids have grown up since then, but I have said, I'm excited to say now, I, I don't worry about that here as much. But I think that's something that we should be aware of is that this radical hospitality aspect that no matter who comes through our doors, no matter how they look, no matter how smelly they are or what their life is or what, what they, how they dress, like, can they become a part of us? Can we love those unlovables, right? I love that we follow a God who doesn't just hand down. I'm, I'm almost wrapping up, by the way. I appreciate this time you give me today. Um, 
I, I love that we have a God who doesn't just hand down commands. Uh, he doesn't just sit up in a CEO chair and then write to-the-point emails and say, do all this. He hands down his word to us. And then on top of that, he doesn't just say, okay, do this word. He hands down himself, the capital W word, Jesus, to embody those commands for us and show us what it means to live into that word as a human. So God does it himself. He hands down the commands and then he lives the commands himself as one of us. And so isn't it wonderful that we have Jesus who lives this John 13, 34 to 35 command because he dies for us. That's less me, more we, because he's willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of his followers and for his family. That's less me, more we. He did not consider equality with God as something to cling to, but rather made himself nothing by humbling himself to death on a cross so that his family could live. That's less me, more we. And then externally, radical hospitality was like this guy's game because the most unlovable people were welcomed by him. People with communicable diseases were hugged by him. The least of society, the dregs of society, the tax collectors and the fishermen were invited by him to be his family, to be his disciples. People came to him to be healed. And little children who have no status in that Roman Empire, he says, shut up and let those kids come to me. I want them right here on my knee. We have a God in Jesus who has shown the most radical of hospitality. And he calls us to do the same as Grace 242, let's never forget that 242, that Acts 242, that's part of our name. I never want to lose what's going on here, this special thing that the Lord has given us of loving one another. Let's never, ever lose that. Amen.